Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron. More information, go to axontire.com. Um, you travel quite a bit, don't you, Sean? I travel extensively, yes. I'm in North Rockford, um, North Dakota here. It's very nice weather, I might add. So, uh, is it? Yeah. Nice. Uh, I, it, well, it's, it, even for me, I'm like, this I, This is nice. This is nice. But uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting in front of a, a, a big group of uh, Pioneer Seed uh, dealer farmers. And, uh, there you go. Talking agriculture and weather and all the things that I do, so I'm pretty excited about it. I love getting into this kind of uh, a farm country and talking to farmers. My the most favorite thing to do. So, right on. Well, what you should get is an Axon uh, travel notepad because <laughs> you can take that with you when you go someplace. And they're not very big, you know. They're little five by seven notebooks, got a little Velcro strap. And when you go somewhere, get you out your notepad and you'd be good to go. You got one of those, Sean. Now you got to send one to the market and axontire.com and they will send one over to you ASAP. So think about that, Sean, next time you go to travel. All I know is I remember those Sunday infomercials when I was a kid and I used to watch them and they'll be a half an hour and they would sell <laughs> anything that you would be willing to buy. You're they that's you're the guy that they were looking for to sell and peddle this stuff. You're amazing. You're you're shameless. <laughs> Lure in, Sean, and then I set the hook. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's what I do. That's what I do. You got, me, you got you know, I'm, you know, can't get the barb out now. I'm in. So, right on. And when you get that notepad, call Valley Transportation 800 657 4910 and talk to Parker, and he'll get the truck to you there. So, Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And if you need to finance that notepad, Sean, you can call AgDirect. No matter how you buy your deal, no how you no matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer auction or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. 
Tractor Zoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales. Data Tractor Zoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer customer experience and transform how you work. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And as he said, he's in uh, northern North Dakota here today. And he's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening. So, Sean, how you been, man? I'm doing really, really good. I'm excited for today um, to get in front of these farmers later today. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a wild week with the Federal Reserve meeting tomorrow yeah. with the Zelensky uh, Erdogan meeting. Determine that as well. So, yeah. No, I think that's going to be a. Uh, that's that's a big deal. The uh, the Zelensky thing there. Um, Russia's been pushed hard um, out out of uh, some pretty key areas, but they've been holding since what two thousand fourteen or you know, two thousand eight, right? So I mean they've they've really got some areas there that they've been pushed out of, and that's a that's a big deal. Um, well, what's going on there? So, and then you talk about the Federal Reserve, what you see happening there in that extra quarter, quarter to three quarter percent uh, hike rate. More likely, it could be three quarters of a percent than it's going to be a quarter percent based on everything that that uh, Chairman Powell has put out there. And it's going to have an effect on on what we see as far as currency goes um, and what that looks like. So, yesterday you sent out a report talking about. Um, the strength in the dollar and how this could be a, a a kind of a turning point, I guess, in in what we see happen as far as as how how the dollar is going to affect exports and and it's going to affect inflation with other central banks um, around the world. So, Sean, talk about that report a little bit and what what you're talking about there with the dollar. We have to remember, everyone thinks that. The dollar always goes up when the Fed is raising rates. That's actually not the case. Half the time it goes down and half the time it goes up. It's a it's really a perception of where the capital views the United States relative to other countries. So if the market believes that they're going too far, I'm just let's just assume that, that whatever happens on Wednesday, the market feels they've gone too far and it's going to throw the U.S. economy into an accelerating decline relative to the other countries. That means the capital is going to start to leave the United States and go back to where it's relatively looking better and vice versa. So there's going to be a point here where they're going to push too hard or the market's going to feel that they're now going too far and the U.S. dollar is going to start to reverse downward, despite them keeping rates high or even raising them further. Now, at the beginning of the cycle, the dollar is saying, you guys are way behind the curve. The economy is overheating. Inflation is overheating. You need to raise rates. The dollar took off, and then the Fed chased the dollar up by raising these rates. So I think we're getting pretty close, Casey, to that point where the market starts to feel that the Fed is overshooting. And they always do, by the way. They always overdo it almost every single time. They overdo it, then they have to backtrack and then print a bunch of money again. So I would really be looking for, forget what they say, how does the capital reacting to whatever whatever, whatever is said on Thursday, uh, Wednesday, 
see how the dollar reacts. If we get a violent reversal downward, regardless of what they do. So let's say they raise rates by 1%. I know some people think it could be 1%. But if the reaction is negative, I think we will have reached a point where a stronger increasing interest rate environment will now be more and more bearish to the dollar because the capital is now going to be viewing the U.S. economy worse off relative to other countries. And I think that's what I'm looking for um, you know, going forward is that moment where we shift from, oh, raising rates is is strong dollar to that shift. And, and I think we're getting close. It could be this meeting, Casey. It could be this meeting. Um, and if it is, then all this pressure we've been seeing on commodities, all this pressure we've been seeing on um, export prices of the U.S. being unattractive un or uncompetitive with other countries will start to reverse. And then you get this more inflationary translational currency effect to come back into our ag markets, which we have clearly lost in the last six months, without a doubt. So, so that that's that's a, that's a big, big component to how our markets are priced. Um, and so, I would really be thinking that that would be uh, uh, a, this, this could be a, a particularly important turning point if it if it reverses downward. So, right. Okay, so so let's talk about some other stuff you had in here. So you're talking about the livestock sector, and you had you're talking about class three and and lean hogs. We're showing some bullish smart money patterns, um, and basically it's based around Chinese demand. Um, talk about that. This is Chinese demand. Is that they're start again, off again, start again, off again, start again, off again? COVID thing that they've got going on over there. Is that what you're seen as a, as a big driving factor there? Well, you know, I, I don't know exactly what to believe in China, but I do believe that they're opening up a little bit. Um, right. And any, anything that opens up, a, a, you know, millions of people to buying stuff again is helpful. But more importantly, and we've talked about this on your show quite a bit, after China uh, went through their second round of African swine fever about a year ago, um, and went through another herd liquidation of the hog herd. And then, of course, it crushed the hog price and then made everybody unprofitable. And then because it was unprofitable, it caused more herd liquidation because no one had any money to buy feed, to, pet, to feed these animals. You, you just had a massive oversupply of pork for the better part of the year. Um, and pork prices crashed. One of our working theses is it was that, um, but, you know, you can only herd liquidate so long. And then at some point, uh, that stops. And we've seen the hog price in China almost double in value since the spring. Um, and that means that the herd liquidation is over, that they're no longer herd liquidating, that they're retaining the animals. Doesn't mean they're going to grow the herd, by the way. Just means they're not going to get it any, you know, they're not going to get it any smaller. Um, and then what it means is that the overhang of pork has been removed, that despite all these rolling lockdowns, They've moved through all the excess pork, and now pork prices are actually setting all-time highs domestically in China. In fact, China dumped um, their frozen pork reserve on the market this week, the largest one-week dump of reserves that they've ever done to try to get prices to stop going up. I don't know what all that says other than to me that they have a serious pork shortage. And there's no way you're going to – I don't believe after – nine months of billions upon billions upon billions of dollars of losses in the industry, they're going to go right back to herd rebuild again. 
I think it's going to be a wild case before they're going to start to grow this herd again. And so we're in a perpetual shortage for the foreseeable future. And that means they're going to have to reach out to those who have a lot of pork. Um, and of course, the United States is certainly one of those places that can oblige. And so I think that we're going to start to see very large U.S. pork exports to China. And that's going to really, really tighten up and button up um, you know, the hog pork supply here. And of course, then more demand for the hog price. Um, and we're starting to see the hog price starting to turn now. You know, we, we had been building a base and now we had a big turn back up. So we're very constructive into the end of the year. They have to get those pork supplies back up before their January, February holidays. Um, and, um, and, and, I, and, and the U.S. Is, doesn't appear to be in, in any hurry to grow the hog herd that I can see. So this is a really good situation for hog producers, Casey. I think that, uh, you know, we're in the process of moving back up to looks like retesting the highs that we're at before this mini crash that we had on this air pocket in demand. But I think that this is going to be a good period for hog producers to you know, monetize, uh, you know, their herd and, and, and put some good, good equity into their businesses. I'm really excited about the hog business right now. And dairies is fairly similar. Um, you know, the domestic milk price is taking off GDT auctions, which happens every two weeks out in New Zealand, which is a, basically an, uh, a global cash dairy auction market that everyone can go bid up. And But you basically, it's, it's, the, it's how the Chinese buy physical global milk supplies. And we had a huge, huge up auction, the last auction. I think it's the first major up uh, in prices we've had in that auction. And it, it, it has to be four or five months. Um, so, you know, once again, we're starting to see that milk supplies are getting tight, that prices are going up, that supplies are starting to dwindle. So I'm pretty optimistic that the overall uh, imports of dairy by China going into the end of the year is going to really skyrocket. Um, I remember they were down there. We've had exports or imports into China, you know, down 18 to 25% earlier this year. So, so all that bodes very, very well for um, the U.S. dairy price. The only thing that issue that I have with the cattle market is that we don't really sell a lot to the Chinese, meaning that we don't really get the big windfall effect. We sell some. I'm not saying it's insignificant, but, I, but it's still more of an internal market. And I think that when I'm looking at the high feed price that's come back, because of this big surge in feed prices. When I look at you know, this, these headwinds that, from the Federal Reserve we just talked about going too far, pushing the economy too far. Um, uh, and you look at, if, if you look at um, um, beef, uh, cold storage stocks, you know, are at extremely high levels right now going into the holiday season. I, I think there's a little overhang, Casey, that we need to kind of get through here. Um, before we get to the real air pocket and supply, so I, I'm very, I'm very, very excited about cattle prices later this year to 23. But I think, like, like, like the hog price was a few months back, we could hit an air pocket. I think there's an air pocket coming in cattle. I think we could have a a little bit of. A, we have been correcting, by the way, we've been correcting a little bit. But I think we could have a more severe correction, and then that sends up the whipsaw effect once we get into the, you know, end of the herd liquidation. There's no more cattle coming to the coming to the packers. And demand, you know, there's always a certain inherent demand for beef, no matter what. So, so I think that's how I view the whole livestock sector. Pretty, pretty constructive overall. 
I would just be a little cautious. If I was a cattle producer right now, I think I'd be getting some some cash sales on the books into the fourth quarter. I just think it probably that that might be a good thing to do. Prices are not too bad right now. So right on. okay, all right. So on the flip side of that, if you're looking at Chinese demand and they're trying to grow their hog herd and they're trying to get things going and they're already having um, some struggles with with feed rations and those kind of things. You know, India we talked about last time. We talked about rice. India had uh, stopped broken rice exports to to China. Um, do you s- suspect to see uh, a big boom of sorts of for soybeans and soybean meal and those kind of things coming out of the U.S. to China? If they grow their hog herd, they need a ton of dry whey and bean meal for the piglets that then lead into the more mature animals that then lead into the hog herd growing. I'm not sure how quickly, the, as I said, the industry lost so much money, Casey, in the last nine months. I think right now they're making money again, finally. Just started making money in like the last 30, 45 days. I think they might just sit there and say, let's just, let's just make some money for a little while. You know, let's not go crazy rebuilding this herd again. Um, I may be wrong. I, I think there's going to be a delay. I guess what I'm saying is I think there's going to be a delay between, I think I think my general view is the next six months, I don't think they're going to grow this hog herd much. Um, I think after that, if they have six months of extremely good profitability, and let's assume, let's say prices even go even higher, make it even more profitable, then you turn the lights on and you get that thing going. And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking through this, I think like the back half of 23, you could see the big, big China resurgence of demand for feed, for corn, feed for meal, feed for soybeans, buying it, canola, all that sort of thing. I think it's going to be a little light here for the next six months. I just don't see how even the large hog producers, the corporate hog producers in China lost billions of dollars. How excited they're going to be just plow you know, money right back in after they're just starting to make money again. I, my, my, my suspicion is they're not going to do that. Not unless the government hands them like a huge monster check to do it. <laughs> right. And, and, right. And maybe they yeah. will. You know, maybe, maybe they will. Right. And if they do, then I'll change my mind. But until we, we see the, you know, Xi Jinping, you know, hand a massive check to the industry, look, just here's the money now go. I, I think it's going to take a little bit of a lag. So I would think that um, feed demand out of China might be on a little larger side. But, but, but supplies are very, very tight. Now that they're cut off from broken rice supplies out of India, which was another huge cheap feed source for them. You know the feed side is going to is still going to be very very tight, and and they may decide they want to stockpile some feed ahead of this eventual. I mean, they know the herd's eventually going to grow, um, so there's a difference between actual real demand and stockpiling that the government could do at any moment that they wish. It could be they stockpile demand that we just have to start watching weekly numbers, Casey, and see if we're starting to see a trend. That they're that they're doing that, um, and they may do that. But my suspicion is they might hold off for a little while until uh, you know, we get into. My thing is after the holidays, after February, they might get back into the feed buying game uh, pretty aggressively here. So gotcha. Okay. All right. Another thing you talked about too was that in grains you were looking at. Uh, you believe an interim top is coming in, and over the next couple of weeks. Um, Talk about that and talk about your long-term forecast and what you see going through the end of the year. We've been projecting a what they call a seasonal price inversion. That is that normally nine times or eight times out of 10, corn prices and soy prices make their low for the year in late September, early October, every year because of harvest pressure. You know, it happens every year. 
we made a forecast that we're actually going to make a high during late September, early October. We've made this forecast with you and, and our reports for a long time. It's called a counter-seasonal inversion, um, where you make a high when you're supposed to make a low. And um, my general view is that it, you know, the market quickly realized that the U.S. crops were going to be good, but not great. Ending stocks were not going to build. They needed to quickly price that back in to prices ahead of the South American growing cycle. Um, and uh, they have to price in weather problems. Whether that actually materializes or not, Casey, when you're this tight, you have to assume bad weather and take the premium off if it turns out that you don't, didn't need to do that. Okay. So, so I view this as a front end load. We're front end load this the smaller U.S. crop. We're front end loading potential uh, transient La Nina problems in the first part of the growing cycle down there. You know, we're 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 putting all this up front, and then I think as as the growing cycle moves forward and we start to see production looking pretty good overall in South America, they're going to start taking some of that premium off because they'll realize that they don't they didn't need it all, and that's why I believe there's a Top coming here in late September, in early October, um, and, and 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 on top of that, harvest is still going on. The heart of harvest is still coming. There is going to be sales being made at these prices off the combines. I can assure you, that is going to provide some harvest pressure. Um, and so, you know, even though you would normally see it by now, I think it's delayed because of the cycle being, uh, you know, very different this this time around. So, so I believe this sets up a potential for a correction um you know into the end of the year and um and then at that point we take our cues from south american weather and as you know i think brazil is going to be in pretty good shape um i think argentina you know may you know still have some some first half weather problems but overall i don't think the market's going to view south american production from uh, they're going to view that view it as a from a point of view of things look are looking pretty good down there and i think that's going to continue to to keep the pressure on prices not needing to to do much, especially as we go into our spring season and such forth, and El Nino starts to kick in as we get into the spring. So, so I think this is a good opportunity for grain farmers. You know, the first good opportunity was May that we correctly forecasted and correctly made a recommendation to cash sell for producers. And we think this is secondary opportunity here in late September or October is another good opportunity for cash sales to be made for U.S. producers. And I think that you know, if they did their job in May and they do their job here, that combination of those two sales, you know, you're going to be in a very, very prosperous position. Um, and then, um, you know, and I and this, there's a good chance, Casey, that these prices that we're seeing right now, um, there's a pretty good chance that we may not uh, revisit these, you know, until we get into the Gleisberg cycle in 24-25 uh, that we've talked about in your, uh, at your summit and we've been talking about it on this. Uh, program you know we, we might need to wait for the next weather volatility event to get ourselves back to these kind of price levels obviously there's there can always be things that come along that we don't anticipate you know russia could deteriorate russia could get better taiwan you know things we don't even know could happen and we always have to be, be willing to pivot but overall i think this is a pretty good price level casey for a while i really do so all right last thing when you're looking at you talk about cocoa in here, and and I I kind of was reading through it and listening to a little bit of it, and you were talking about you know the EU. So if the EU um, 
liquefied natural gas and what they get from Russia and what's been turned off to Germany, especially, but also, I mean, it's going to affect Europe as a whole um, at, some, at varying, varying levels for each country. But if you look at where they're at right now and then they turn off uh, liquefied natural gas and they've got, like you talked about, there's enough to get them through a somewhat, you know, mild to moderate um, uh, winter. Um, and if, if things work out like you've talked about, um, this should be a colder winter than we've experienced in the past uh, four or five years. So looking at looking at that and, and looking at the EU and, and the prices they're going to have to pay, I mean, and, and liquefied natural gas, how much of how much do you think that's going to put pressure on just the overall commodity market as a whole? If if Europe is just trying to figure out how they're going to stay warm this winter and, and, and so much of their capital is going to be going to liquefied natural gas. Well, the market is, a, is typically a forward-looking vehicle. This is not, you know, there's no secret that they're in, they've had, you know, I mean, they've had the high natural gas price now for th this the third year. So sure. um, right. everyone on the planet is talking about, you know, this winter and they're going to, you know, they're going to fall into the ocean and head back to right. the dark ages and right. you know, go, yeah. go move back into caves. And, you know, maybe, maybe they can light a candle from time to time and, and, um, you know, and see if they can find Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, relics mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, so they front and loaded all this worry uh, that they're going to run out of energy, that they're going to completely collapse. What if that actually does not happen? What if that the front and loading of natural gas, which has been falling, by the way, uh, you know, what if this front and loading of all this worry, front and loading of all this bearish news, bearish talk, bearish demand, what if they get through the winter? Yes, they pay high prices, but they've been paying high prices. They don't run out. And they realize that demand was actually considerably better than if they were living in caves with candles. There could be a significant reversion in a lot of markets that have been geared up for that end of the world scenario for the EU. So you talk about cocoa. You know, there's been this belief that the cocoa demand, chocolate demand, and you is going to collapse. Um, you know, that even, even the cocoa grinders aren't going to be able to operate their cocoa grinding facilities because they're going to have to turn the facilities off because it's not going to be enough energy. So what if that does not happen? And all that bearishness in the cocoa market has been unjustified or at least overplayed. We talked about, you know, going too far. Right. What could happen if, the demand for cocoa is actually pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. You could see a significant change in the price of cocoa um, on a recalibration of it's not great there, but it's not Armageddon. I look at the, the, the natural gas stocks that they're likely going to have going into the winter. I mean, where they no longer, you know, when the, when the rebuild cycle is over, it looks like they're going to get to between 90 and 92% full with all the imports of LNG from us and elsewhere. And um, and everyone thinks that um, Russia hasn't been shipping them any gas. They have shipped some. It's not like there's been zero. I mean, I know they shut off recently, but I mean, 92%, it's that most likely, unless you have an extreme winter, which we're not forecasting that for Europe this year. We don't, we don't think it's going to be an extreme cold winter. Um, they're gonna, likely not going to run out, Casey. 
They're likely not going to have to turn the lights off. Um, and they're likely going to come through it in better shape than most people think. And something like a cocoa market, you know, could really benefit from that. And something like the natural gas market could get absolutely crushed. Because if you think everyone's been all, you know, wait a minute, they made it through. They didn't run out. Wow. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, right. you know, they, 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 you know, they, they, they pull, you know, I just, I, I think you really have to be careful when, when too many people are talking about the same thing all at the same time, thinking it's a guaranteed outcome. You know, you cannot lose money betting on Europe's disaster and going in. Nothing is that easy in markets, Casey, nothing. Right. Um, there is no clear, uh, it, it, anytime you think you have something that's ironclad clear in any market, I've always been proven incorrect when I thought I just couldn't go wrong with something. I, something happened, I was wrong. So I'd be very, 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 just like we talked about pumping the, the grain price in advance of all these, you know, that, that, you know, putting up, front end loading the, US, the, the South American production. I think we've already pumped up energy and, and depressed a lot of commodities based upon no demand out of uh, Europe. And by the way, that's another possibility as to why the dollar could be really bearish in 2023. We're extremely bearish, the US dollar in 2023. We had a bullish forecast for last year and a half. We mentioned on your show a year and a half that we had turned bullish dollar. Now, a year and a half ago, everyone was bearish to the US dollar. And one of the reasons that we are really thinking we could see all this capital, Casey, that has fled Europe and parked here in the U.S. because they're going into the caves. Could be running right back if it looks like that they uh, that things are looking better over there. Another reason to be bearish the U.S. dollar. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with the Russia-Ukraine situation, but um, what if um, things do get better there? You know, quite frankly, they have gotten a little better there. Um, I just think I just think that you have to look at all that and say, most likely, um, Europe is already priced in, and if there's going to be a surprise, it's going to be how well they come through the winter and how few problems actually occurred from what everyone was suggesting. And I'm not a fan of Europeans' uh, strategy. I'm not a big fan of their policies. I'm not a big fan of their energy strategy. But I also think that <coughs> at, 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 at where they're at, I think they're going to be okay. I think they're going to be okay. That's my guess. They're going to be all right. Right on. All right, Sean. Good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you got going on at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? <clears throat> Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on there to tell people what we do, how we do it, why we do it, to see if we can be of some value to your listeners. Right on. Appreciate you being on the podcast, Sean. Thanks, Case. It's always a wonderful opportunity to share these ideas in agriculture and weather with you. It's uh, it's something that I take very, very, uh, you know, very, very kind to my heart. So that's good, Sean. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC on LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and the ever so cleverly named Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So make sure you check that out. Uh, moving Iron Summit information, the dates have been set for next year, September 11th, 12th, and 13th in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, if you're interested in getting more information about that, 
shoot me an email, Moving Iron Podcast on movingironpodcast.com. And I will get back to you with whatever information I have right now, which is very limited. So working through that and getting some ideas put together and uh, going from there. So, Sean, uh, enjoy your conference today. Make sure you blow people's minds because you do that quite well when you when you uh when you get up there and talk so i'm sure people are going to walk away going three letter acronym acronyms got them well I, I i just hope that that uh i have an impact enough that you know like my view is a well-capitalized farmer can change the world and i just want to make sure that as many producers as possible can stay well capitalized we really need them to be to have the capital going forward to keep finding innovative ways to grow food in this crazy weather or climate we're in. And if I can play a little part in that, I'm thankful and grateful to do it. So growing food is important. So keep up the good work, Sean. You too, Casey. That, Thanks. I'm with, with that. I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Haggett. This my folks out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time.